Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I wish it could be a new year every week. I just love saying Happy New Year. I can tell. Yeah, I think it's one of my defining characteristics as a person. How well you say it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the zeal and zest with which I say it. Mm. I saw somebody, and I know this is, um, you know, I know New Year's Eve is ancient history now, but I saw somebody on Twitter on New Year's Day saying that you shouldn't wish Happy New Year after 8.30pm on New Year's Day. That is the cutoff point. Oh, God, what a terrible human being. Terrible. Whereas I, I have always felt it's the summer solstice. The summer solstice. <laughs> I, think, I think somewhere in the middle like, lies the right you should be. Split, you think split the difference? Yeah, but maybe more yeah. towards him. <laughs> okay. How, how was it for you, by the way? How was my new year? Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, it was totally wild. Were you, were you still awake at midnight? You know what? <laughs> You're going to find this weird. I stayed up. I turned the lights out and went to sleep at quarter to twelve. <laughs> and it wasn't but, me but, being, and it wasn't me being trying to act up or being. I just thought I, I want to go. I just want to go to sleep now. I don't really care. I'm, t- I'm, I'm it's thinking 15, about the morning. It's fifteen minutes. You could drag anything out for another fifteen minutes. I know, but I was like, I, I was done. I was tired. I kept thinking about how early I had to get up in the morning, and I just thought, I'm done. I'm just going to go to mm. sleep now. I think any time before 11.20, mm. that's a valid way of thinking. I think as soon as it goes past 20, past 11, mm. you can drag it out till midnight, is my, is my feeling on this. Right. Well, I'll see how it goes next year then. Okay. I was you? working. You were working, I was working. I was, I was on air on BBC Radio 5 Live. Uh, so I, I sort of rung in midnight. We had the bells of Big Ben. We had uh, reporters in, in Edinburgh and London describing the fireworks to the listeners. It was, it was quite something. Oh, it sounds great. I mean, here's what I did think as I was doing it. I was thinking, do the people who are listening to this want to hear a celebration? Mm-hmm. What, so you're thinking, why are they listening? What are they trying to get out of this? Exactly. So mm. I think if you're celebrating the new year, mm. you're probably listening to something with music at midnight. Yeah, yeah. Or watching Jules Holland or you're out. But mm. if you are alone and you're in celebratory mood listening to radio, I, I would have thought you, you'd be listening to music. So then I thought, mm. should, should we just pretend like it's not happening? 
for the people who are finding it painful. Oh, because they're not into it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but mm. I mean, there's probably a gap in the market for that. But it's you know, it's a, a difficult argument to make, <laughs> especially as a free as a freelancer. Yeah, yeah. I think it's for people who want to know, like like the bells, like want to know at the exact moment of midnight because they don't trust their clocks, but they haven't got a television. I think that's who it's for. <laughs> Okay, okay. Quite quite a small market. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I receive few complaints. Good. Yeah. Um, so I am now in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, arrived here a couple of days ago. My wife and son were already here. We flew separately. Let me tell you something. Flying. Here's, here's what's wrong with flying. <laughs> okay, you're tell t- me. You're too close to other human beings. Yeah, yeah. When you're doing quite intimate things. Like nodding off or eating. <laughs> like you don't want to be really within a metre's radius of another human being when you're doing that. And and you're just centimetres away. Sometimes bits of your body are touching theirs. Yeah. And that's they, they should have, you know, the little curtains they draw between the cabins? Mm-mm. They should have those in between the, the passengers. Yeah, why don't they? Because I don't like sitting there eating. I mean... I, I do like the food on aeroplanes. It's food that I would find disgusting if I was eating it on the ground, but I'm still enough of a child that in my mid-40s, it's exciting to me to be eating in the air and see what comes in a little tinfoil tray. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's, it's too intimate having your elbows touching somebody else's. So mm. little curtains between every passenger is yeah. what I'm lobbying for. Okay, great. That's also, also the, the cabin crew kept asking me if I was okay, which I thought was weird. Oh, really? Why do you think that was? I don't. I couldn't tell if they were being attentive mm. and just saying everything, everything all right, or if they were looking at me and saying everything all right. Like, Be honest, were you like, crying? Well, funny you should say that. I <laughs> did. I did rewatch the film yesterday on the flight. Oh, is that which, good? It's like terrible and good. Okay, great. I'll watch it. So it's written by Richard Curtis, and I think you know the, the same could be said of, of, of a few of his films. Mm. Um, so on one hand, it's breathtakingly cheesy, and bits of the script are corny, and you kind of know exactly where it's going to go. Mm. On the other hand, I did find myself crying quite regularly. I watched it at the cinema a while ago, and I had a good sob. But there is something I'm sure we've talked about it before, where you're more likely to cry at a film on an aeroplane. Yeah, there's there is some something scientific. I'm sure I read an yes. article about it once. Yeah, so everything I watched while I was on the plane, um, including episodes of Staff Let's Flats, I found myself crying at. <laughs> and that is weird. You know, if you're flying alone, you're sitting right next to a stranger mm. trying to conceal the fact that you're crying. Yeah, yeah, that is very intimate. I mean, I know that is an experience you have quite often on public transport anyway. You've, <laughs> you've mentioned before. But, so, so that must make it a weird job for the cabin crew. You've got people who are scientifically more likely to cry and more likely to fart. Oh, yes, yeah. Um. And you've got to move through your workplace pretending that neither of those things are happening. Oh, God. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Apart from when you say, are you okay? Is everything okay? <laughs> I mean, maybe they were referring to my flatulence. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. like, I think there's something really up with your <laughs> digestive system, sir. When we land, is there a doctor on board? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, 
Okay, let's hear from the drifters for the first time this year. Okay, first one is from Sonia, the Countess of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. My youngest daughter was only a week or two old. We have a two-storey house and I was on the main level. It was time to feed her, so I sat down on the couch and since no one was around, I pulled off my shirt and started breastfeeding her. A few minutes in, my blood suddenly ran cold as my father-in-law, who in my sleep-deprived state I had completely forgotten was upstairs installing some cabinets, came walking down the stairs and sat down on the chair opposite me and started talking. As he spoke, he made eye contact with me and there was just the faintest flicker of unease in his eyes as he realised I was sitting there half-dressed and his face paled. And yet somehow we both continued a conversation for the next few minutes as if nothing was amiss. But I knew both of us were dying on the inside and neither of us knew how to politely extract ourselves from the situation. I don't want to give the impression that I am a prude. I often went to mother's nursing lounges in the mall and breastfed without a cover. But that was in an area where you'd expect it. But to be so fully exposed in front of my father-in-law. Oh, God. (laughs) Thankfully, he's such a good man and was obviously equally embarrassed. So this story has never seen the light of day until now. It is a very weird thing, isn't it? Yeah, because um, I think if you are, you're basically topless in front of your father-in-law. I think, mm. and neither of you want to mention it. I think um, it's a tricky situation. Yeah, especially if you're not from a bohemian family. <laughs> yeah, I, this is this is slight a tangent, slightly off at a tangent, but I went to get my hair cut in Manchester before Christmas. And uh, Sarah sort of dictates how I get my hair cut. So I said to her, can you send me a picture of me with my hair, how you'd like them to cut it? Okay. So she says, sure. This is all a so wonderful insight. Thank you. So, so she sends this picture of me and my son, Eugene. And I show it to them. And, and the barber, he's a, he's a real type. He's got a shaved head. He's covered in tattoos. Very low energy like this. And sort of slagging off his colleagues, slagging off the music they listen to. Very... Dower, I guess, is the word. So at some point of him cutting my hair, he says, so are you spending Christmas with your daughter? And I say, oh, it's not my daughter, it's my son. Which I don't, I don't care that he thinks a mm. picture of my kid is, it doesn't bother me. And But he assumes that it will. He goes, oh, sorry, mate, sorry, it's just with the long hair. I said, oh, yeah, that's just how we, we have his hair. You know, he's got big curly hair. He goes, oh, so do you live in Charlton? I said, said no, what do you mean? He went, oh, it's just all the parents there. They keep the lads there really long because they're bohemian. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the idea that if you don't shave your son's head, it makes you a bohemian. <laughs> That's amazing. It's good, isn't it? He had you down, so, bohemian. Yeah, you've got, yeah, you've got yeah. some books at home, haven't you? A whole shelf That's of me, them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. right, okay, to, let's move on to, to, on to, to Nina. This, yeah. I work in one of the most traumatic and dangerous environments there is for a drifter, the office. With its enforced proximity to people, toxic levels of small talk, penchant for organised fun and lack of humour, it is a nightmarish micro world of hell. I should have walked right out of the door six years ago when, in my first week, the manager frog marches all from our desk like some militant pied piper of fun to go and sing happy birthday to and stare at some ageing colleague. The next worst thing to the office obsession with birthdays is the tradition of bringing your baby to work day when you've been on maternity leave. 
When a colleague you never knew well or cared about in the slightest suddenly comes in with a new baby and you all have to stop working and gather around for an endless amount of time, desperately trying to make retch-inducing small talk to fill the awkward silences with you all just staring at the baby, heads cocked, Stepford wives smile on faces like some demented postnatal support group. (laughs) Suffice to say, the sense of panic has generally seen me leave by a back entrance at the very sound of pram wheels in the corridor until my manager gave birth and there was no escape. I'm not a fan of my manager, a replacement for the Pied Piper, and we share very little in common. I can successfully manage not to have direct contact with her for weeks on end. When she went on maternity leave, it was a weight off my shoulders. Then one day, she returned with twins in tow. She always overdoes everything. (laughs) Most of the office is open plan, but I'm lucky enough to be around a corner and in a corner so I can sob at my desk without too much problem. I can still hear everything that goes on and anyone can see me if they walk past, just not immediately when they enter the main office. Another dreary day, and I'm woken from my sobbing by a theatre chorus of oohs and ahs and some proper screams of excitement. And then my manager's booming tones and more baby responsive sounds that only certain females can make. My whole body tenses and a sweat breaks out on my brow. I can't do this. Please, God, no. And I consider jumping out of the window. I mean, I really consider it. And the thing that stops me isn't that it would be a weird response to an average situation or that I could hurt myself, but simply that I don't want to be embarrassed by people outside seeing me jump. But I don't want to deal with this pantomime of enforced social hell or the sheer awkward awkwardness of it all. And, any lo- and the longer I stay at my desk without moving into the public eye and being normal, the harder it becomes. My body is actually rigid. My senses primed as to the movements to just feet away from me. I put my earphones in with nothing playing, just so it looks like I might just not have heard the commotion or sense my colleagues moving out en masse. I stare at my computer screen, what I hope is a deeply absorbed in what I am doing manner. No manager could fault me for that, right? And all the while, I'm wondering why the hell I can't just go out there and do the pantomime with the rest of them. What is wrong with me? It is a real existential crisis at the same time as being a social one. It happens at every Christmas, birthday, interview, nice time out. <laughs> so I'm going through this all at once and I should, and I know I should just go out there and try. So I get under my desk. Yeah, I'm 41 <laughs> years old, pretty good at my job. And yet my only way out of not wanting to endure this hideous interaction was to hide under my desk and then panic because I had no idea if people would be able to see me should they view it from a different angle. I am grown up enough to know that if you can't see someone, it doesn't mean they can't see you. <laughs> Kudos to me. But now I'm newly trapped, haven't taken it a stage further. What if someone pops their head around now and sees me? Or I come out from under my desk and someone pops around then. What if I manage to get back to sitting at my desk and someone comes in then to ask why the hell I haven't come out yet? The window again is looking like my only option. In the end, I hear them wrapping up. Someone offers to take one of the twins downstairs and there are air kisses and hugs that pound my ultra-sensitive hearing. I feel safe to extract myself from under the desk and resume the seated position, earphones in just in case. I feel like a social refugee, changed and traumatised beyond recognition, with the twin emotions of knowing I dodged a bullet, but wondering if it was worth it and what is wrong with me. The manager leaves, people talk, colleagues return to their seats, and someone says to me, you don't like babies then? If only they knew. (laughs) Oh, that was magnificent. Mm. Uh, Please share your story with us. It's hello at (laughs) adriftpodcast.com. 
Annabelle. Yes. New year, new way in which you're not a fully functioning adult. Part 44, which is everything to do with the new year. So resolutions. I had to look at my diaries that I kept from the age of 11 to my mid-20s. It's just a long time, isn't it? I regret that I didn't keep it up. But I, Yeah. Yeah, really long time. Have you ever kept a diary? Um, not really. No, I think you're either a diarist or you're not, but mm. you would prove that wrong that you I managed was. to keep it going for well over a decade and then just stopped. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I kept it. Anyway, I only made a note of resolutions twice. First one was in 1987, age 11. I got six. One, to write in my diary at least twice a week. Two, cut down on sweets. Three, to save my pocket money. Four, keep my bedroom tidy. Five, be nice to my sister Abigail. And six, to watch Dallas. Now, I don't think it's a bad set. I'm basically saying I want to write more, be more financially prudent, more healthy, be a nicer person. I think these are these are nice resolutions. Let's fast forward two years to 1989 when I'm 13. Number one, cut down on sweets. Again, like how many was I eating? <laughs> Number two, grow my hair. Three, clear my skin. Four, get more fashionable. Five, get better at singing. Six, get a horny boyfriend. Seven, <laughs> become a better person. Like 60% of those are related to how I look. And I do feel that it's a bit of an afterthought at the end, the all-encompassing become a better person. Okay, imagine what Greta Thunberg's New Year's resolutions are like when she was 13. Like, I discuss myself with that. <laughs> and I discuss myself even further when I think about the three most terrible things that I've done on New Year's Eve. I know you were working this year, but how do you feel about New Year's Eve in general these days? So these days, I don't care. For many years, I really enjoyed it. I used to go out um, to a restaurant in Stockholm, which I know sounds odd, but I used to spend a lot of time there. And, I, 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 you know, people always say, oh, New Year's Eve, there's so much pressure to have a good time. And I never really felt that. And I always had a good time. Mm, okay. And then... You know, these days, I'd sooner die than leave the house <laughs> if I well, wasn't it, working. It was such a non-event in my house that the subject wasn't even raised between me and my boyfriend until the 29th of December when someone asked us what we were doing. Like, we hadn't even discussed it. And we didn't even actually discuss it until the 30th when I said that as a special treat, we could watch a film on New Year's Eve because I won't watch films in the evenings anymore because I think they're too long and I'd have to go to bed too late which I imagine is number four in the list of 89 reasons why my film buff boyfriend really hates me. <laughs> so do you watch a lot of matinees then? Matinees? No, no, just don't really watch films anymore. Right. Yeah. Anyway, these are the three most terrible things I've done on New Year's Eve. Number one, went up to a very tall person and chanted loudly in their face, fee-fi-fo-fum. <laughs> Deeply ashamed. <laughs> I was there. Yeah. Two, went to a fancy dress party with the theme of dressing as a celebrity you think will die next year. I dressed as Elizabeth Taylor, who died less than three months later. No, because of you. Probably. And number three, and this is at the absolute worst of all, and it also happened this very last New Year's Eve, the most recent one. I went to the M&S food hall at 5pm because I realised we didn't have anything sweet in the house and I wanted a nice dessert for like my evening meal. But Tom had said that he didn't want something nice to eat before bed, something sweet. So I went in, M&S food hall, 5pm New Year's Eve, and I bought a one-person trifle. And it was so tragic. Oh, no. I'm fairly convinced that I made at least three people cry. 
<laughs> I'm surprised that the person, the cashier, didn't just offer to give it to you for free. Even if it was an automated checkout, it should be programmed that if you're buying a dessert for one on New Year's Eve, it just flashes up on the screen. Please accept this with our pity. Yeah, it's really bad. There's only one thing that makes me feel better because um, it's even worse. And it says a story told by a friend recently about how she went back to her family home in rural Ireland for Christmas and New Year. And there was a big party on New Year's Eve and all the family were there and lots of friends. And one particular auntie got so drunk and then so aggressive that they had to restrain her by rolling her up in a rug. Honestly, (laughs) I think about this at least once a day, like the visual image of it. And no matter how poorly I've lived up to my 1989 resolution to become a better person, I know that I've never, ever had to be restrained in a rolled up rug. We should mention Patreon here, Annabelle. Oh, we should, yes. Do you think we're too late to sort of try and do any emotional blackmail around New Year's resolutions? I think probably we're too late to do emotional blackmail. I think that's that's the key issue here. (laughs) Because we're a week into the new year. Mm. Okay, what about people who made a resolution, didn't keep it up and are feeling bad about themselves? Mm. What about if we offered to absolve their guilt by taking an American dollar or two American dollars or five or ten off them every month and then they can live guilt-free for the rest of the year? I'm very happy to absolve any guilt, yeah. Great. Um, I mean, I don't know about the logistics of it just just consider it done (laughs) i think that's the best way best way to do it is there any downside to us in the absolving no no where does the guilt go do we have to carry it somewhere with us oh god now i'm worried i've got enough of my own yeah me too yeah um but if if you uh, if you do fancy New Year fresh start, I'm going to support that podcast on Patreon. We would love that. If you enjoy spending time with us every week, then uh, give us a teeny bit of pocket money every month, and it helps us carry on doing the podcast. It's Patreon.com/adrift. That's Patreon.com/adrift. We put our little Christmas message up, and you know what the next thing is, don't you? The Snaresbrook tour. Yes. So as soon as I get back, mm. we can get on that. How many of our listeners do you think are currently, especially very sort of long-time listeners, mm. are putting this in the same category as the space ice cream? No, it's going to happen. I, I'm, and I'm going to say... sleepover. It's, it's, no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in February. I'm really sure of it. And the noctambulate. Oh, God. No, it's, it's February. It's going to happen. I'm determined. Okay. Okay. Uh, anyway, support us, your pals inside your headphones at patreon.com stroke adrift. <laughs> 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So a couple of things here. The first is very loosely under the umbrella of New Year's resolutions. Okay. I was out having a coffee with my oldest, dearest friend, Chris Ma, mm-hmm. uh, 
just before New Year. Um, we're sitting in this cafe and I'm moaning about social media and saying maybe I'm going to delete it off my phone like I did when I was on holiday, but do it for longer this year. Okay. And he has taken himself off Facebook and Twitter and he's only on Instagram. And I was saying, but isn't Instagram just the same as the others? Isn't it just people showing off? And I got my phone out of my pocket and I started scrolling through Instagram. Look, there's someone showing off about the holiday. There's someone else showing off about the holiday. There's someone putting up a picture of the kid, not realising that their kid is much more interesting to them than it is to anybody else. Uh, look, there's somebody pretending that their marriage is in a better state than it is. <laughs> you know, all the stuff that you you think as you scroll through social media Mm. and he said no you're doing it all wrong and he gets out his phone and he says what you do is follow lots of accounts of things that you really love and then every time you take your phone out your pocket there's just nice things for you to look at and he is really into cycling and he's really into his hi-fi equipment and he's you know he likes architecture so all the accounts he follows are just pictures of things that he really loves. Okay. And that was revelatory to me because it never occurred to me to use Instagram like that before. Mm. So I went through my Instagram on the on the, uh, the the following morning as I was lying around and muted everybody I know in real life <laughs> and then followed like loads of accounts which are pictures of Stockholm and the Stockholm archipelago and hey. Muppets and Moomins and gentlemen's tailoring and all the things that I like looking at. And I'm telling you, I do feel better for it. Really? And I was telling somebody else about this and they said the way you have to think about Instagram is like you're the editor of your own magazine hey. and you're just thinking about what you'd like to see in the magazine. And if you mute people, they don't know that you're not following them. No. And so you're, you're still being polite, but you get to yes. see nice things in, in your pocket. I, I love I'm doing it. Yeah. Honestly, so there's my little, I mean, there's, it's an earnest thing to talk about, I suppose, but that's my little New Year's mm. hint for anybody who hasn't already done that. And then the other thing I was going to tell you about is Sarah and I went to a shoe shop here in uh, in Illinois, in the outskirts of Chicago, Illinois, yesterday. And Sarah couldn't find what she was looking for. And there was an assistant walking along and we couldn't quite tell if this assistant was with a uh, with another customer or not. So Sarah said, oh, can you tell me where, whatever it was, flip flops are, please. Mm. And the assistant said, oh, I'm just helping another shoe lover at the moment, but I'll be right with you. <laughs> shoe lover. <laughs> I mean... Don't you think that's the oh, worst God. thing you've ever heard? Yeah, so like, so they don't want to use a word like customer or client because they think it some way demeans you or reduces the relationship to transactional. Oh. But do you not think by calling you a shoe lover, it just makes you sound like a pervert? I buy shoes, but I'm not a shoe lover. I buy them because I don't want to go barefoot. Like, she's assuming <laughs> that you've got hundreds of pairs of shoes at home. We're all like Imelda Marcos. I'm just buying, a, like, I have two pairs of shoes to stop my feet getting cut up. I'm telling you as well, if you're a shoe lover, you wouldn't be in this grim shoe lounge <laughs> on the outskirts of Chicago. <laughs> so it's time for the first GLAP clinic of the year. Uh, I'm not in problematic. Um, no. This, this is, I, don't, I don't think there is an attic in this house. I'd yell downstairs to my mother-in-law, but I don't want to... Uh, we all know where that would lead. <laughs> some kind of protracted engagement that we could do without at this oh, juncture. So, okay. uh, but but so it's just it's the portable GLAP clinic this week, mm-hmm. and 
Who is the who's the first one from? It's from Alexander. This is about meeting spaces in an office. Where I work in our breakout area, we have meeting areas where you can share your laptop screen on a TV so that it makes it easier for people to contribute in brainstorming. So today, I know, I know. Today I had the job of grabbing one of these spaces for a meeting and someone was using the area as a temporary desk. The conversation started with me saying, sorry, are you waiting to have a meeting here because I need the screen for my team meeting? He said, nope, I'm using it as a desk. So at this point, I'm expecting him to move like when I've asked others in the past and for me to say sorry about this and him to say no problem. But this didn't happen. Instead, he stayed in the seat and said to me, what do you want me to do about it? I need a desk. Then I say, well, if you can't find a desk on the booking system, if you ask someone near the empty desk, about 10 empty desks within about five metres of us, they will normally tell you if the person who booked the empty desk for the two week block is in or not because people are out of the office a lot. He wasn't satisfied with this suggestion and stayed in the meeting area. So in natural drifter behaviour, I tried to escape the situation by saying, oh, don't worry, and letting him keep the meeting area. But he kept on asking me what I was going to do about his desk situation. After what felt like an hour of this, probably about a minute and a half, he finally left the meeting area. But as he left, he said, offer me solutions, not problems. My question is, what should I have done in this situation? It's not my job to get him a desk, but was he right to stand his ground because he didn't like the alternative option? No, like, who is he to say that to you? I mean, unless he's the chief executive or something, (laughs) then maybe there's something in it. But he he is the problem in that circumstance. I I think it's very clear that he was very rude and maybe isn't a nice person or maybe was having a bad day. But uh, is it wrong for me to suggest that I think there's probably... There's a poor system in place as well. There's not helping anyone. Yes, I agree. But I think the principle should be, you know, as of so many things in life, the needs of the many mm-hmm, yeah. outweigh the few. Yeah. So if you just needed a desk and you wanted to sit there, that's a whole other thing to, like, lots of people need to come in here and have a meeting. You need to understand that, like, lots of people trump you sitting at a desk. Yeah, yeah. And but then is is it up to the person who needs the desk to there to therefore offer a solution? I don't believe so. No. Okay. Well, that, okay. Well, that that's that sorted out then. Yeah. I think I think the system is people needing needing to congregate for a meeting mm. outweighs the need of somebody to have a place to be. And they and then even though they were there first, they've got to go and sort it out themselves. I believe so, yeah. Okay. And I think I think just sort of hovering uncomfortably until somebody goes is always a good option. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Excellent. Yep. Great. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay, let's move on to Emily then. This has been very lightly touched on before, but no firm rule has been set. And I beseech of you to not only create the rule, but somehow make it nationwide and mandatory. Here is the question that has plagued me in the run up to Christmas. I work from home and as a result, spend a good portion of my day taking in parcels for my neighbours. This has been especially prevalent around the holiday season, as you can imagine. I have absolutely no issue at all with taking in the parcels. What bothers me is this question. If I have taken the parcel for a neighbour, is it my job to take the parcel round to their house or is the onus on them to come and pick it up? Please bear in mind other factors like if the neighbour is elderly, has small children or works odd hours. I look forward to hearing your decision, which will greatly set my mind at ease. Well, I think the onus is... Cl- I think we've we've touched on this before, but the onus is clearly on the neighbour to come and collect. Otherwise, you're in the same position as the delivery person was. 
mm-hmm. only you're not getting paid for it, where you're sort of knocking on a door and then needing to figure out how to start a, store a parcel. I mean, what you should do is, after a certain amount of time, go and knock on their door. If they don't answer, then take it to a different neighbour, and then it's their problem, not yours. <laughs> it just keeps getting pushed around the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love to do that. So, okay, so just so it's very, very clear. So whoever's parcel it is, it's their job to do the walking. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, but what about old, if you don't want to knock on the door of an old person or someone with children, small children, like because they've got a baby asleep? Like, are there, is there any any anything that what, changes? So you're this? expecting an old person to come bring in something? Uh yeah, that makes it worse. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. Well, I, you're, very... you're, you're not a delivery person. You're doing a kindness mm-hmm. by being a little depot, yeah, a little so depot. that they don't have to go to the post office with one of those little red cards. Yep, yep, yep. Great. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad that. Did, I, t- did I tell you my brilliant idea? I can't remember if I told you this. No, go on. You know, you get leaflets through for a pizza delivery place, or whatever. You get leaflets pushed through your door. Well, about. I don't. I don't because I've my no leaflet sign written in biro on a scrap of paper. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> so. My point was that you instinctively, without even looking at those things, put them in the bin. Yeah, you never look at them, yeah. The only thing you don't automatically put in the bin, if it's not post, is one of those little sorry we missed you cards from a courier or the post office. Yeah, yeah. So why doesn't somebody design pizza leaflets that look like one of those little cards <laughs> so that people pick them up without throwing them away? Do you hate it when they try and trick you by putting the leaflet in an envelope? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That really makes me angry. I feel you've tricked me into looking at your leaflet when you normally don't look at it. It makes me so cross. <laughs> uh, if you have a quandary you would like us to solve in Quandary Corner, then you can email us. It's hello at adriftpodcast.com. And that was it, the first drift of 2020. Do you yes. not just feel like we're too far into the future now? It's, it's almost oh. a bit upsetting. Is it, it's making my head hurt still that it's 2020. It's a similar sensation. When I was a little boy, I sometimes would climb a tree, which you may find difficult to believe, but it would happen. <laughs> and, and, you know, I wasn't very good at it, so I was generally quite low to the ground. But every now and again, I'd find my way up quite, quite high, and then I'd look down and I'd just feel sick and nervous and scared because I was too far from the ground. Okay, yeah. And that's yeah. the same sensation I get when I look at the, the year being 2020. Yeah, it feels just too, too far, far in the future. Too far into yeah. the future. Yeah. Anyway, don't quite know how we got onto that. Thanks to Man and the Echo for the backing music and to Emily Harrison for the incidental music. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox are our announcers. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided the technical support. Carla Gowlett took the photos. Kim Rainey designed the artwork. And I'll finish by saying Happy New Year! All right, podication time. And this comes from Rifka van der Meer, who says, Dearest Annabelle and Jeff, Firstly, I've been binge listening to your podcast since my former colleague tipped me off 
Podication and gratitude will follow. Yes. Mm. Uh, it's it's wonderful to hear others struggle with life as well. Just became a Patreon. I didn't dare do it sooner, in case you would say in a later episode that Patreon was actually a scam. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're going to do that in episode 300. We're going to reveal that there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but because I really want to show my appreciation, uh, and when I'm totally honest, I'm dying to hear the Partners podcast. Oh, that's that is a good one. I wonder if Rifka's now listened to that. Uh, if I may be so bold as to ask him for a title, I'd really like to be a Baroness. This is because that I feel the Baroness in The Sound of Music is very misunderstood. Uh, the captain and she were all in sync about their preferences, and then all of a sudden he changed and didn't want her and the life she stands for anymore. But that's not her fault. So I don't think we should blame her as much uh, as is done for the tiniest mindfuck she allows herself with the head of <laughs> Fraulein Maria. There's, but there's <laughs> I saw somebody on Twitter the other day saying they'd like to see a film just made from the Countess's perspective. Oh, really? Maybe a Rifka. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, thirdly, some background. I live in Amsterdam, uh, so many apologies if my English is rubbish. I worried for a shamefully long time why so many people were called Anon, <laughs> as I never knew it to be a popular English name before. No Dutch person should ever apologise for their no. English because oh, they're God. always so perfect oh, no, and, and no. often, you know, better than us. I would not consider myself a classic drifter. I study social psychology and can handle my small talk. But I do think office outings are hell on earth. Is it work? Is it social? The horror! And I definitely am a blurter. I only ever listened to Dutch podcasts until I was lured by your subtitle, uh, as I so often feel like I am flailing in the sea of my own inadequacy. As a bonus, uh, I now know it's not haphazard, but haphazard, and uh, nuclear, not nuclear. I think some people do say that, though. Mm. I mean, no wonder it's uh, there's a little confusion. I had one a while ago where, you know, there's this phrase locked off camera. No, I don't know that one. It might be a technical phrase, but it means like when you're watching TV and there's a static camera. And I think often they don't have a, somebody operating them. Okay. And for years, I thought it was lopped off camera. Like, you know, oh. you lop someone's hair off. Mm-mm. And I used that phrase on Twitter and was recently... Oh. Uh, I'm sorry. Recently really ridiculed for it. Um, so there's one for you as well. Locked off camera, Rifka. Not lopped off. I don't know if anybody else ever thought that. I do have an extra suggestion to correct someone on their pronunciation. Uh, you could say, oh, that's so silly of me. I always thought it was nuclear, but you say nuclear. It will leave them confused and they will probably look it up at home and you'll look like a very modest person willing to believe others know it better than you do. Oh, that's really Let me good. Tell you, well... All because the, there's like slight differences in pronunciation between American English and, and British English, and I get completely confused as to which one is the right one a lot of the time. I oh, really because my my own mind is so feeble <laughs> that I've I've said something a certain way forty years up until meeting my wife, and then because I hear us say it differently a few times, I forget which one is real. <laughs> so here's an example: I've got no idea whether the British version is amenable or amenable. It's amenable. So we say amenable. Yeah, yeah. But you do you don't think know. that's no? But do you not think that sounds like something an American would say amenable? Yeah, amenable. I don't know. Now you're now you're making me doubt yeah. myself. I don't yeah, know. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> All right, partication time. Partication time. Party partication time. She says, feel free to sing it in a tune, Jeff. Oh, I just did. You did. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to podicate to three people. First of all, to Jasper. 
Uh, she says, sorry for the Dutch names. The A in Jasper sounds like A is in Alter. So Jasper and the J as a Y. Jasper, Jasper. there we go. Mm-hmm. Jasper. Uh, Ter sounds like Care, but more, more staccato. Jasper Ter. And then Shegert probably feels for the English speaking as clearing your throat. Twice a Scottish k, like in lock. Shekert. Jasper to Shekert. How was that? Great, I, mean, I think. I don't know why I'm asking you. <laughs> uh, he is the one who introduced me to Adrift. We used to work together and he's very smart and kind. And whenever I bump into him, uh, as I occasionally do, I always feel directly, I always directly, uh, sorry, I always directly feel at ease. Secondly, to my colleague, Roos, Oh, she says, Roos is it easy, just like Rose. So it's not Roos, it's Rose. Uh, Rose, but then uh, I want to say Schienenberg, but let's see how she spells it out. Schienenberg is impossible. The closest sound is probably Klein like Calvin, and the, un, the u, u sounds like urge, but then with the k in the end. Uh, I, can't so. even follow, I can't even follow just the descriptions, let alone try and say it. Klein... Kleinenberg. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. Uh, Rose is the loveliest person, and she got at least one of her friends to listen to a drift as well. So she more than deserves this podication. She feels like a drift at times, but I have my utmost faith faith in her uh, that she's funny and gentle and smart. And finally, I would like to podicate to Aveline uh, Zandvliet. Uh, hang on. Aveline, the Zan sounds like one, so Zond and Vliet like fleet from fleeting, so Zonfleet. Aveline is my frolic. Oh, this is a good word, I would say. It's my colleague who I'd also like to call a friend, but I'm too shy to do so. That's That's a great word. Such a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Aveline and I share an office space together with another colleague. And she is a huge part of my job satisfaction. She's enormously funny and extremely considerate. She is very good at her job and I learn lots from her on a daily basis. She loves rules, takes Quandary Corner way too seriously, and I love her for that. Again, uh, sorry for taking up so much of your time. Please take up as much as you want. I've enjoyed this podcast a lot. Uh, from now on, I have to wait a week for another podcast, but luckily I still have the Patreon extras and Annabelle's book to look forward to. The title of the book in my e-reader, funnily enough, is Annabelle and the Internet. At first I thought it was a pun, as in, I'm totally Annabelle with the Internet. But I guess, oh, unable, sorry. I skimmed it. Unable with it. That is quite a good pun, actually. So it's a misspelling. Hmm. Yeah, so they've spelled, yeah. Hmm. Uh, they've got the E and the L and your last name the wrong way, and your first name the wrong way around. I'd get onto the phone to my publisher if I thought they'd take my calls. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I won't bother. Unable. We should Unable. do something with that. Uh, but I guess it's a typo or a Freudian slip from a staff member of the publisher who does feel unable, bless the drifter he or she must be. <laughs> All the best, Rifka. Rifka, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. I had, uh, sort of enjoyed the stories, enjoyed hearing about all those people. So that is the latest edition of the podcast, podicated to Jasper and to Rose and to Aveline and... If you would like a podication, then you can email us. It's hello at adriftpodcast.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.